you okay? <laughs> What's happening? I don't know why I said What was that? that? You Even know what? your whole face changed. <laughs> like, you were so serious and sad. There's a lot of notes I have for this movie. Uh, same. <laughs> but before we do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Julian Pensavale. <laughs> Patrick Hines. I feel like I'm really finding my key. Yeah, I think so too about you. <laughs> Me, who the hell knows if I'll ever get it right. But you're so close. You got it. You guys, you guys, before we get to the show, once again, we're asking you to review us on iTunes. Mm -hmm. Here's the thinking behind that. Yeah. What's great about iTunes reviews is that it gives our listeners an opportunity to tell the world what they like about our show. Mm -hmm. Whatever you think of our show, we're doing something different than other people. Love it or hate it. Love it or hate it. It's different. It's different. Yeah. So, you guys, if you like my screech, if you like Jillian's sass, Mm -hmm. if you like my laugh, Mm Can you write us an iTunes review? I want to see more of that on there. Yeah. No, but when you guys are calling us girl and giving us a zillion stars or however many it is, it helps. Exactly. Helps people find us. We love it. I read them. I cry. It makes me so happy. Uh, you guys, the February 9th show, the 7 o'clock is sold out. Oh, my God. 9.30, there's 12 tickets left. <gasps> I know, it's going to sell out. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, get them right now. They're going to be gone before you're done listening to the app. Yeah, so pre-show meetup. At the bar at the hotel at 5.30. At 5.30. Then we'll do a show. At the hotel at 7 o'clock. Then we'll take a breath. Yep. Then we'll, we'll do, do another, another show. show. <laughs> 9.30. Then we'll meet up with you again. And get hammered at the bar at the hotel. Yes. So you guys, everything's at the hotel. Yes. February 9th. Come hang out. Yeah. Last thing, you guys, Patreon. <gasps> we are almost done with Making a Murderer season one. Season one. I'm obsessed. Uh, me too. It's, Queen KZ, she's around the corner. I was thinking about how like the first season takes place mostly in the courtroom, and then the second season takes place mostly in Kathleen Zellner's office where they're like flinging fake blood on stuff to see yep. what happens. Or she's being driven around. Yes. <laughs> or she's sitting at like the Avery house trying not to touch anything. <laughs> the best posture. Just like, what a juxtaposition, huh? <laughs> um, you guys also Last week we put up our interview with the producer and director of Abducted mm. in Plain Sight. Yes. It is juicy. We asked tough questions. I know. And they were awesome. They, the honesty was there. It was it was fascinating. It was really, really good. So yeah. check that out. We've got a bunch of interviews and, you know, all the rest of the stuff on the yeah. on the pates. Yeah. Madonna's Truth or Dare, which will actually come back to Madonna later in this episode. Stay yes. tuned. Yes, we will. Stay tuned. <laughs> You're not going to give me any shit for calling it the pates? No. <laughs> come on. <laughs> I miss you. I miss, you have I you had a lot of leeway this week. <laughs> Use it wisely. (laughs) You guys are going to be on fire. Mm. Girl, what are we talking about this week? Three identical strangers. Look, I want to say I burned up the keyboard on my computer taking notes for this thing. Yeah. I took notes on every single second. You used the word hysterical in a text this morning. Yeah, this this movie is very similar. In some ways, it's similar to my daughter Daisy's story. Mm-hmm. Because she's adopted through foster care. So we were able to like find her sister, who we're not raising, but she like has a relationship with. Yeah. So I was like bawling at certain points of this, like talking about like the importance of the relationship between the siblings that didn't know each other. And yeah. It's just, it's, you know, it, it's similar in some ways. In the, in the theme of, like, it's important that, like, siblings know each other if they can. Yeah, I, I mean, and if you feel like, if you don't want to interact with a sibling, yes. more power to you, <laughs> says the only child. <laughs> it sounds like you've taken a sign. Well, my, my mom is has many siblings, and mm-hmm. many of them I'll never speak to again. Happily. You know. I wouldn't believe the story if someone else were telling it, but it's true, every word of it. It started when I went to college. 
It was the first day of school. All these people are coming up to me saying, Eddie, how are you? Eddie, hi. I'm like, my name's not Eddie. I don't know what you're talking about. As soon as this guy turned around, I knew it was Eddie's double. I said, you're not going to believe this. You have a twin brother. Oh, my God. As I reached out to knock on the door, it opens. And there I am. His eyes are my eyes, and my eyes are his eyes, and it's true. And then the story went from being amazing to incredible. It was an article to Twins Reunited. I think I might be the third. When people ask me what is the most remarkable story you ever encountered, I tell them it's the story of the triplets. You guys have been on the front page of every newspaper in the world. True. True. They were more like clones than they were like brothers. It was a miracle. There was nothing that could keep us apart. That's when things kind of got funky. Something was just not right. They separated these boys at birth. The parents had never been told that there were two other children. What was the purpose? Why? How could you not tell us? They're trying to conceal what they did from the people they did it to. When you play with humans, you do something very wrong. Who would be evil enough to come up with something like this? There's a lot of powerful people that would like to have the story silenced. There's still so much that we don't know. It boggles the mind. It's a mystery. I'd like to know the truth. All right, girl, you want to get us started? Yeah. I mean, it starts in college. We start with Bobby, one of the one of the triplets. You guys, we're going to do our best to keep the name straight here. It's a little bonkers. Oh, I know. I know them. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm good. I'm I'm weirdly good with it. This, actually, I think of, I rely on you for that. Really? I, I know that you're good at it when I'm trying to take notes. I'm like, ah, eh, Jillian will get it. Yeah. Well, thanks. <laughs> uh, and there are also times where we'll say the name a zillion times and you're like, what's the name? Charlie? And I I'm know. like, Rebecca. <laughs> Like, you, the names are for some reason, like, are, do not stick in your head. So we start with Bobby. We yeah. meet Bobby. And Bobby is going to Sullivan County Community College in the Catskills. I already have questions. Sure. Yes. Beautiful blonde in the back. Thank you. The, are you the thin one? Mm-hmm. Oh, me. Mm-hmm. This is a world where you go away to community college? Two hours away. So once again, we're on. We're in Long Island, New York. <laughs> where you guys- Here we are again. <laughs> With, like, crazy family drama. I didn't even think of it. Every documentary happens on Long Island. What's going on out there? Yeah, I don't know. It's I don't know. It's so weird. Um, but, yeah, this guy goes away two hours. But, wait, I'm just saying, like, I grew up near a community college. Yeah. You don't go away to community college. No. He must mean, like, what we think of as junior college. Yeah, I think that's what it was, because he was 19 when this happened. Yes. Yeah. Um, Jillian, how did he get there? You know, already I was like, I want to like you guys. And I do. I I. I do like these guys, but his car, this old Volvo, he calls it the old bitch. And it was a, a 1970 Volvo. Had like 130,000 miles on it. And the car was burgundy and the hood was green. Actually, the car was called the old bitch. Oh, it's so jarring. And he's like, so, you know, I was going to college, jumped in the old bitch and there we went. And I was like, what? 
Is it this like a heartbreaking turn tragic story? It's so weird. You're saying the, the old, old bitch? bitch? I love what? it. So you guys, this kid Bobby goes to college and he tells this story. He shuts the door of the old bitch. Yeah. W- walks onto the campus and he is, as they said in the Brady Bunch, big man on campus. He's like Elvis suddenly yeah. showing up. Everyone's like, oh my God, welcome back, welcome back. Everybody's being extremely friendly to me and they're going out of their way to do it. I don't mean just a high. I mean, claps on the back and high fives and I was a little bit bewildered by this because no one gets this kind of a welcome their first day at school and girls were kissing me like fully kissing me saying I'm so glad you came back and I was saying thank you and hello back but I had never been there before and I didn't know them and he was like, look, I was nervous. I was never the most popular kid in school. And so, wow, like, college really is a whole new frontier. He was really excited, albeit very confused. I will say this. I had this moment of, like, if that happened to me, I would be like, oh, yeah, this is about right. Yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> Everyone's excited that I'm here. Yeah, this where's perfect sense to me. Yeah, where's the red carpet, however? Right. I see you have all my adoring fans. That's accurate. Where's the perfectly chilled cocktail and the red carpet? And the red goddamn carpet. Hello. What's weird about this? I don't get it. <laughs> The weirdness continues because now they all keep calling him Eddie. Right. And he's like, uh, but I'm just going to go with it because, you know, this is my first day of college and whatever. Right. So then he goes, finally, I made it to this dump of a dorm room. <laughs> okay. Girl, all right. what were you expecting from a community college? Two hours away from home. I know. I don't get it. Anyway, so then this guy Michael runs up to Bobby just to be like, hey, wait, you can't be Eddie because I know Eddie. Right. And Eddie told me he's not coming back to college this year. But oh my God, are you adopted? When is your birthday? This guy Michael puts it together in a split <laughs> second. I said, is your birthday July 12th? He said, yes. I was like, July 12th, 1961. Oh my God. I said, you're not going to believe this. I said, you have a twin brother. You have a twin. So this guy, wait, what's his name? Michael. So this guy, Michael Domnitz grabs, what's his name? Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a long recording. <laughs> So this guy, Michael, grabs Bobby by his curly hair, Mm -hmm. throws him into a phone booth. Yeah, they don't have phones in the dorm room in 1980 (laughs) for whatever reason. They're both like super excited. And I don't think either one of them really knows what's happening, but they're they're trying to call this guy Eddie. And I'm trying to put the the coins in, and they keep falling on the floor, and Bobby's picking up the coins. And he calls this guy, and he's like, hey, Eddie, you're not going to believe this, you're not going to believe this. Eddie, Eddie, you're not going to believe this. This guy's more hysterical than I am, like, weirded out. So they call, they get Eddie on the phone. Eddie's pretty calm in the telling of the story. Yeah, so this is the the first time the name Louise Wise Services comes up. That's the adoption agency. Put a pin in that, we'll get back to them and rip them apart. So what happens next, Jillian? They hop in the old bitch to go meet Eddie. I hate it. I'm so glad this is like the last time we have to talk about the car. So we got into the old bitch. It was about 9 o'clock at night, and it's about a two-hour ride. And we were speeding on Route 17. We were going 100 miles per hour, perhaps more. So they hop in the car. They yeah. drive two hours in the other direction to go meet Eddie. Because, of course, Eddie lives, like, not that far away no, from Bobby. But they're driving so fast that they get pulled over by the police. Yeah, they make it in, like, 25 woo, minutes. Woo, woo. <laughs> 
So they get pulled over, and it's like a, a state trooper yeah. in, in upstate New York, and he's like, excuse me. It's Girls? Like, it's at, like midnight, and right. he's like, hello. And he's like, you better have a good excuse. And they're like, actually. actually girl, we do. Funny story. I thought this was going to end with the trooper being like, let's go, boys, yeah. and like giving them an escort. Right, right. Woo, woo, woo. As they're like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Gives them a ticket, sends them on their way. Totally. And then uh, they just speed the rest of the way there. Also, can we talk about the fact that this guy, Michael Dominus, and Bobby met two hours ago. They're already on a road trip. Yeah. They have, Michael is running this whole show. Best girlfriends. Yeah. Yeah. Holding hands <laughs> and driving as fast as they can. Drink, sipping wine coolers. Yeah. So, but like all of a sudden, Bobby's like, well, now what? Like, well, because it's, it's the middle of the night. Middle of the night. Yeah. In this like nice, quiet neighborhood. And they go to open the door and Bobby's like, I didn't even have to open the door. The door opened and there I am standing yes, there. Yes. I'm like <gasps> staring into my own eyes. He's going... Oh my God, I'm going, oh my God. He's going, holy crap. I'm going, holy crap. They just looked at each other and they moved it. They, every time Bobby moved his head, Eddie moved. And then Eddie would move and then Bobby would move. Like, like they were looking at a mirror. It was the weirdest thing. It was like the world faded away. And it was just me and Eddie. So this is the first photo we see of any of the siblings together. And this is the first time this bitch started to tear up because this photo is of the two of them staring into each other's eyes like they're soulmates. The biggest smiles. I'm getting chills thinking about it. It's the sweetest, most wonderful thing. Like they found each other. They weren't even looking for each other I and know. they found each other. It's really beautiful. All right, you guys. Beep, 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 beep. News break. It's Howie Schneider <laughs> from New York Newsday. <laughs> Which is a local paper in New York, mostly on Long Island. So he gets, this guy Howie is telling us that they get a call and you're not going to believe it. Right. And he's like, well, I want to see these two face to face. How are you going to get there, Howie? He gets a plane. <laughs> he doesn't drive the two hours, which is, it's also probably 20 minutes. It's a news, it's a news day there in Long Island now. Like, I don't understand. But he's like, back in those days, they had the money to do that, says Howie. <laughs> we flew the journalists up to Sullivan Community College. And he called me and he said, Howie, it's true. It's true. And I remember saying, oh, my God, this is a great story. This is a memorable, heartwarming story. So he, like, sends some, like, gopher on the plane. And and he's like, Howie, it's true, says Howie. That's Howie's interpretation of the phone call. So then he goes, then the story went from being amazing to incredible, okay? Amazing to incredible. Like, are you listening at home? This is important. Howie still believes in the power of the newspaper, you guys. Forget about your going on the online. I'm kind of living for Howie. I know, me too. <laughs> then we meet Queen Ellen Cervoni. Ellen. <laughs> Loving yes. Ellen. I was on the New York subway quite late at night. Read an article about two boys that were twins, separated at birth, and found each other at Sullivan County Community College. There was no picture, but the story was fascinating. Can you do her accent? Oh, yeah. Really late at night, I was coming home. I was like, you know, she's coming home from the Stonewall where every night's a riot. She's been out with her gaze all night long. All night long. Ellen, get real. (laughs) The next morning, her mom wakes her up. Ellen's like, Mom, I just got home an hour ago. You could still smell the daiquiris on me. So then... The mom's like, Ellen, Ellen, wake up. Because this, whatever other paper has the photo. Yeah. So Ellen is like, holy mackerel, is that David? And I was like, 
holy mackerel. This is beyond amazing. Who's David? We don't know. We're about to meet David. We're about to meet David. So now they go on and on. Like, all these people are saying, like, this looks like David. This looks like David. And they focus on the big, like, meaty hands they were talking about. Okay, the hands are definitely big. But it's weird that everybody who loves any one of these boys will make reference to their hands at some point. These, like, big, like, Guido hands. Like, Tony (laughs) Soprano hands, you know? Which is fine. But it's like, they also look exactly the same. The hands are what you're focusing on. They look exactly the same. They have the same exact haircut they've never met. <laughs> they look exactly the same, but it's the hands. Let's totally. zoom in on the hands. Okay, fine, if we must. There was a picture in the newspaper of two guys in the post, and I was like in shock because the two guys in the post looked exactly, exactly like, like my friend David. And it wasn't even just the look on their face. It was the way they were holding their hands. They had these big, meaty hands, and David always had this... These hands that look like baseball mitts. And when I saw their hands, I just knew that this is David. So now we meet David. And David is is calls information and gets Eddie's phone number. Right. And calls Eddie's mom. And he's like, hey, can I speak to Eddie, please? And Eddie's mom is like, oh, he's not home, but may I ask who's calling? And David's like, well. <laughs> I said, well, my name is David Kelman. And I was born July 12th, 1961. And I'm looking at a newspaper and uh, basically, I think I'm looking at two of me. I think I might be the third. And I think she dropped the phone, actually. And I remember hearing her voice over the phone, oh, my God, they're coming out of the woodwork. We have to take a second and talk about Hetty Page. I think I'm, that's how you spell her name. I'm obsessed with Aunt Hetty. She's she, the best. She's like an actual hero. This woman was in the Holocaust. I know. Um, and she, the first time the three of them meet, they're at her house. And yeah. she's David's aunt. And the three of them ended up like puppies wrestling on the floor. It was the most incredible thing. They belonged to each other. They knew each other. There was no formal introduction. I mean... When you meet somebody for the first time, you don't end up rolling around on the floor with them. This was when I texted you and I was like, I'm hysterical. Yeah, because she says this line. I'm like, Aunt Hetty, oh my God, I'm hysterical. Three separate lives becoming I one. I know. It's like, oh my God. And I'm like, "There's we haven't met one of the brothers. Yeah, this for me is a little problematic. We haven't met Brother Eddie and we don't. We don't. And we'll, I guess we'll get to it when the movie gets to it. Yeah, I mean, it's it, this is a tragic story, everybody. Yeah. It's all heartwarming and actual puppies and rainbows right now. But It's my one bone of contention with the movie. I think it would have been a better movie if we had known all along what happened there. Because like, then you're just spending the whole time wondering, like, what, what happened? What Because yeah, you know something did, yeah. if we haven't met him yet. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, so then the media circus begins. They're on Donahue. They're on Jane Polly. They're just exactly the same. Which is so weird. I but know. Okay. But they're, they're leading into the identical triplet thing. Totally. You know, and they are big time. It's ridiculous. We're all the same. As soon as we started discussing our personalities. Our personalities are the same. We always our talk at the same time. The same. I'll start a sentence and he'll finish it. We all like Chinese food. You were all rustlers at one time? Yes. yes. You all smoke the same brand of cigarettes? Yes. yes. What kind of cigarettes do you smoke? Marlboro. Do you all smoke the same brand? Yes. yes. Do you like the same colors? Yes. yes. Yeah, I was curious. Uh, how's their taste of women? Is it similar? Yes. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> So now we we talk to Alice, who's Bobby's stepmother. So the guys are just like in love with the fact that they found each other. But now the six parents are like, uh, uh, let's pull this car over. Not sure if we're going to turn it around just yet. But they pull it over because they're like, how did this happen? (laughs) Let's 
let's maybe like get our head out of the clouds for a second yeah, and yes. maybe try to understand like why didn't why weren't we told that the, the baby we were adopting is part of a set of triplets? Exactly. Right. Because this is a little <laughs> sprinkling of hearing the parents describe how the kids had troubled childhoods. Like they would bang their heads against the wall or they would hold their breath until they passed out because they were dealing with separation anxiety as babies and didn't know it. Yeah. Aunt Hetty, who we love, has this like heartbreaking story about how the boys were separated at six months mm. old. The first thing that hit me was what they lost. I believe they were six months old when they were separated. If you imagine those three little bodies lying together and suddenly the coldness of being alone in a crib, it's a terrible deprivation. So now we learn about Louise Wise Services, which is the adoption agency. Yes. We hate them. We- <laughs> adoption agencies are amazing. Yes. We're not trashing adoption agencies, just Louise no, Wise I, I in had, particular. I had like, the most amazing experience with our adoption yeah, agency. Yeah, these people in particular yeah. are garbage. Yes. Louise Wise Services, the New York institution founded back in 1916, overseen by a board of directors drawn from New York City's social, financial, and political elite. They were the preeminent adoption agency on the East Coast for Jewish babies in particular. That was the place to go. And so the parents get super mad and six of them demand a meeting with like the board of this organization. It is truly like a dark and stormy night. It's yeah. pouring rain. That's important. We'll come back to that. Right. And they just like, hopefully they had an appointment, but to me it seems like they were just like <laughs> storming up with pitchforks as they should have been. Right. The agency admits it. Yep, we separated them at birth and nothing comes of it. They, they say that they separated them because it would have been really hard to find a couple that wanted to take three babies. Yes, it probably would have been harder, but not impossible. Right, exactly. And that's also just an excuse. Right. So they all leave. And Bobby's father, Mort, forgot his umbrella. And he goes back in. And he walked into the room to see them breaking open a bottle of champagne and toasting each other as if they had dodged a bullet. So the parents try to get lawyers. And at first, lawyers were really interested. Like, they were going to, like hoity-toity lawyers in New York City. And the lawyers were really interested at first, and then suddenly there were all these conflicts of interest. They said, we have a number of associates who are trying to adopt through Louise Wise, and uh, we don't want to ruin their chances. So that lawsuit was out. So this is where we get this whole scene of, like, The boys are like, yeah, that was kind of our parents' deal. Like, we didn't care so much. Because it was 1980 in New York City, and they were the most famous people in the tri-state area. Like, it's good to know that weird, weird-looking people can be this famous. Yeah, Ellen was like, let me just say they were running amok down in New York City, okay? <laughs> and it's like, they're, they're like partying at Studio 54 at the limelight Copacabana. I know. They were which like, apparently is not from the 30s, like I thought it was. No. New York loved this. New York loved this. All the newspapers were following the boys around no matter where we went. I remember one morning walking in and my mother throwing the New York Post at me at the kitchen table saying, I got to look at the paper to find out where you were last night. (laughs) You guys, they're in a movie. Not just any movie. They're in Desperately Singing Susan. Walking down the street, all of a sudden we hear, guys. Guys, you're the guys. Could you please be on a movie? Please be in my movie. Have we talked about my love? For no, this movie? get into the groove. 
boy, you got to prove your love to me. And desperately seeking Susan, Madonna <laughs> plays this. Per- okay, so in the scene, she is like peak Madonna, but no yes. one really knew that she was Madonna yet. So she is in the scene. She's walking to make a one ad, and she's wearing like hot white heels, white tights, a white garter belt, like a white like nighty, yeah, and like a man's white button down shirt. Yeah. And she walks because like what? It's New York in the eighties, and it's Madonna, yeah. so obviously. And she walks like out of the car. These three triplets are like eyeing her because you can't miss her and you can't miss them. They're just standing by the door staring her down. Like oogling her. Yeah. Ogling? Oogling. Ogling, ogling. Whatever. Schmagling. Whatever. They're in this scene like really briefly and then it cuts to Bobby who's like We didn't know who she was and she was she was Madonna. So then, oh, and this sounds so disgusting to me. What? These boys get an apartment together. Bad idea. Oh. Just a hygienically bad idea. Three men should not be allowed to live together ever. Blitz, there's something about like that they're brothers too. And like, you know, they're like having sex all the time. I know. The same... And they're like, like th- there's a shot of them like sleeping in the same bed. They really leaned into the triplet thing. <laughs> like, I cannot imagine what that bathroom looks like. Oh, God. <laughs> and their friend, there's this guy, Alan, who's just their buddy. And yeah. like, he comes. It, like in and out of the documentary and he's like can you believe it they would the liquor store would deliver the liquor and I'm like welcome to the future I Alan <laughs> I did that yesterday I was like oh that reminds me I have to make a call <laughs> yeah. that, now we start meeting the wives these girls you can tell that they do not hang out at the 4th of July barbecue no you want to know how you know that instantly because each one of them is like My, I have the best one <laughs> Which is like a weird thing. Like first, Eileen says it, and she's Bobby's wife, and yes. she was like, "I was the first real girlfriend. I was the first totally. wife." It took me a while to tell them apart, but now that I know, Bobby's the best one. Then right. we meet Janet, who's David's wife, and she's like, "I got the pick of the litter," I'm- and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> then Brenda, Eddie's wife, is like, "He's the best. He was the Casanova, and I got the best." It's like, right. how many fights have these women had you about who like, has the best one? The Chardonnay flows at the Fourth of July picnic, and it doesn't. Go great. No, with two ice cubes. Right. <laughs> Come on. Come on. It's got to be cold. Yeah. Bobby, get me the, you know, the two ice cubes, please. Okay? Thank you. I don't understand. He never remembers the ice cubes. It's like every day with him. I'm just like, the Chardonnay with the two ice cubes, is it that hard? Thank you. Oh, he's like, enough already. Okay. I see you, Bobby. Okay. Goodbye. He's the best one. Keep though. Eileen away from me. Keep Eileen away from Bobby, me. I will what not did, talk to her. What did I say about Eileen? Okay? <laughs> First the ice cubes, now this. I'm not talking to her. She didn't compliment my seashell wallpaper, okay? She knows how much it meant to me to redo that bathroom, okay? And she doesn't have the decency to compliment. That is coral pink seashell wallpaper in the downstairs bath. I put out my nice soaps, and that bitch doesn't say a word, okay? I need more ice cubes now. Goodbye. So David tells us that Eddie was the one that was like really pushing to meet their birth mother. Right. The, this is a, kind of important to know about Eddie is that he yeah. was like kind of the emotional one. Like mm-hmm. he was kind of the one that was like that everybody loved. He was always the life of the party. And we'll get back to this. But he was an emotional. He had his highs. He had his lows. Yeah. And he was the one who was like, let's find our birth mom. Then he sort of got less about the partying and more on the side of the parents, so to speak, where it's like, let's get some more details about the situation. Right. And they have this this great story where like they realize that the New York Public Library keeps birth records. And they're like, you guys, how many like sets of male triplets, of all male triplets, right. were born on July 13th, whatever year it was? In the same hospital, Long Island Jewish, at the same adoption agency. Like, they're pretty easy to find. Yeah, so they go to, like, they go to get the birth records. We each grabbed the book and went page by page by page by page by page. And within a couple hours, it was bingo! Male, 
nail, nail, three in a row. Well, on July 12, 1961. Right next to it, birth mother's last name. They, like, find the birth mother. They reach out to her, and she's, like, down for a drink. So they go, you guys, this is so weird. They go to meet their mom for a cocktail, their birth mother. Yeah, and the story is not great, Bob. The, yeah. It's um, not my words. It's described <laughs> as a prom night knock-up type of thing. Ooh. David, Ooh. <laughs> David is not impressed with his moms. You know, to us, at 19, you drink like a fish. You think you're invincible. But we found it a little uh, concerning that she was pretty much keeping up with us, <laughs> you know. Um, the, the apple doesn't fall that far from the tree, and that's the tree. I was less than thrilled. They were like, ooh, she's keeping up with us pretty yeah. good with this cocktail game we got right, going here. Exactly. She's doing the Jaeger shots. She doesn't even need a chill. She's but partying. My, I, my feminist hackles went up, and I was like, who a cares? woman can't drink? Yeah, who Are cares? you kidding me? Who cares? Exactly. She's your birth mom. His point is that, like, whatever, she was fine. She wasn't a part of her life. We had our parents, and whatever, she was there. Yeah. They, you know what? They were too busy opening a restaurant called Triplets. <laughs> I want you to know that I went down an absolute rabbit hole with this restaurant today. You did? It's I closed. Went, uh, yeah, it was on the corner of 6th and Grand. Shut up. It was all the way downtown? Yep, it was in Soho. I found a commercial for it. You guys, this triplets restaurant was a steakhouse where they had singing waiters. (laughs) You guys. Wait, can I play a little bit of the ad? Yes, you have to. Here's a little bit of an ad for triplets restaurant. Welcome to triplets. Welcome to triplets. Welcome to Triplets Old New York Steakhouse, home of New York's greatest singing waitstaff, serving generous portions of the best hand-cut dry-aged steaks, chops, fresh fish. First of all, that ad is hilarious. She's a queen singing and dancing her face off in the background. Of course background. there is. Blonde tips. It's like, girl. Um, of course. Hi, girl. But the, also the review of the restaurant I read, it got like a great review in the New York Times. Yeah. It turns out, they don't get into it in the movie, but like these brothers worked together in restaurants for years and then decided to open one. And it was pretty successful. I mean, to they said they made a million dollars their first year. Yeah. No restaurant succeeds in the first year. It's like, true. It's, it's, the restaurant business is hard. These guys were like famous. And so they were like, they show busloads of people coming to this restaurant. Yeah. We had a lot of people who were coming for us. They came to see the triplets. They wanted to be waited on by one of the triplets. We served vodka, frozen blocks of ice and... We'd get the whole room up and dancing. Of course yep. they're coming down to see you. You're cashing in totally. on this 15 minutes of fame. And good for you. Like, running a restaurant is hard. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> because as uh, Dave's friend says, Ellen, that's when things got kinds of funky. <laughs> funky. That's when things kind of got funky. That was like my favorite moment in the preview. And I have, funky. yes, finally spill the tea, bitch. I know, let's go. Yeah. So now we meet Lawrence, right? You guys, this guy has a Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> he wrote The Looming Tower, which is like the history of how 9-11 happened, basically. Okay. It's a great book. He's a really, really amazing writer. But basically, in the 90s, he was working on a, an article about these two twins that were separated at birth. Right. And so he is, because he's good at his job, he was doing extensive, extensive research. Yeah. And through that, he finds this really obscure article about the psychoanalytic study of children. And it referenced this secret study that is sealed and no one knows anything about it. They were separating identical babies at birth for the purpose of the scientific experiment. And these babies had all come from one adoption agency in New York City. And he's like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. This is crazy crazy and unethical and scratch that other article. I'm working on this one now. Right, totally. So he gives like the restaurant a goog. He calls triplets. Triplets, how can I help you? And it's just like, bum, bum, like super loud. <laughs> what? No, we can't take any. No, we're booked. Call 
<laughs> no, I'm trying to. I have information about your I, your. Go like, back later. Goodbye. <laughs> we need another round of those vodka ice cube things. Just come in. It's it's a walk in. I don't know. Whatever. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he gets in touch with like with the twins, and Bobby is the first one to be like. Lawrence Wright called me, and he told me all about the experiment. And I said, this is like Nazi shit. And then we learn. All right, David tells us some shit. This is crazy. You guys buried the lead here. Yeah. Because David's like, hang on, scientific study, you say? I forgot to tell you this part. Yeah. Upon reflection... (sighs) For years, these weirdos would come to my house with my parents' permission and just videotape me and give me those inkblot tests. They did uh, IQ tests, personality inventory tests. They did uh, eye-hand coordination tests. I do remember people coming to the house, having tests done, square pegs and round holes, Rorschach inkblot tests. What does this mean to you? That kind of stuff. And Bobby's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean the IQ test and the inkblot test? And when they yeah. pull out the cameras and they'd want me to like show them my bike and stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. And I'm like, wait. So at first I was like, why did the parents allow this? Same. But because the agency was like, because we just want to see how kids in adoptive homes, yeah. how they respond. This yeah. really shows like how duplicitous the whole thing was. Yes. It's really, really, really And creepy. it gets even darker. And so current day Bobby, now remembering these people, he's like, obviously we were part of this study. And he has this heartbreaking line where he's saying like, you're talking about a group of people that went and did psychological testing on a six-month-old baby and then went to another house to see his brother and then went to another house to see his brother and did this over years and years and years and years with full knowledge that we were within a 100-mile radius and not knowing each other. It's just, it's unconscionable. Who would think that anybody would be evil enough to come up with something like this? Well, our journalist friend, Lawrence Wright, yep. he discovers that this guy, Dr. Peter Neubauer, yes. was in charge of this whole study. Right. He's the director of the Freud archives. He's very distinguished in New York, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but part of this is that we learn that our boys were not the only siblings who were separated. Right. Nobody is sure of how many identical twins were involved in this study. I was told six to eight, but we don't really know. We also find out now that this this study, we don't know if it was ever finished. It was never published. Right. So, like, all of this damage that was done to these people yeah. was f- came to nothing. David, who is clearly a listener of our podcast, just says it was garbage. <laughs> Hero bell for David. Hi, David, girl. Hi, David. Okay, so all of a sudden, you guys, we're in La Jolla, California. Uh-huh. They have a great playhouse. Subscribe to the yes, season. Yes, yes, yes. Come from away, came from there. Mm-hmm. It's not La Jolla. It's not La Jolla. It's not, but it's, it's spelled like that. Give yeah. it a go. <laughs> so we're in La Jolla. We meet this bitch, Natasha jo- I can't even say her name. Nosefowitz. Who cares? I didn't like her from the start. We know right away that she's involved in the study. And I was like, she's not going to say things I like. I know it. And she's immediately very trying to hold court. If she were anyone else, we would be like, I love her. Right. Because she's like, come in. You want some coffee? You want to look at the photos? You want to look at pictures of me and Obama and me and Hillary? This is Obama three years ago. And here he is holding my latest book. I have to tell you. I said, Barack, I love you. He said, I love you too. And he gave me a kiss on this cheek. 
When are we going to talk about the twin study? So she sits down. This bitch has a smirk on her face the whole fucking time. Yes. And it makes me crazy. And she's like, no, 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 no. The first thing you need to know is it was a different time. You have to put yourself back in the late 50s and 60s. This was not something that seemed to be bad. Nobody said, to take children apart are terrible. That was not at all in anyone's thoughts. People didn't care about each other. Love wasn't a thing back then. It didn't matter if we separated kids from each other. She literally says, like, people didn't really care about the separation thing. You know, Natasha can say that. I don't believe it. No. She can say it. Yeah. You know, this happens in these documentaries all the time. What none of these people do is speak today with the knowing that they did something wrong. Yes. She does not speak with, I'm so mad about this. Yeah. She doesn't speak with any contrition. No. There's no sense of, like, we thought it it was fine then now we know it was bad and I feel bad about that no. she is laughing she still thinks that there is scientific value to this yeah because her whole thing I'm enraged she's horrible she's a, she's a horrible horrible person yeah she's like you know and I wasn't fully she part of the team she's unsubscribing from this podcast good right now. bye bitch <laughs> fucking bye <laughs> She dead yet? Hopefully. <laughs> God. Um, and her whole point is like the whole test was to put nature versus nurture, like that, that debate to bed. Peter started thinking, wouldn't it be interesting to have a study of mothers who were wanted to give up their children who happened to be identical twins and then could be separated at birth? If we could put them in two totally different environments, we would put to rest the dilemma, nature or nurture, forever. As though getting to the bottom of nature versus nurture is worth separating siblings from each other. Right. I just I just hate her. Yeah. You guys, so we're back at Triplets, the, the restaurant in Lower Manhattan sure. that I spent 45 minutes researching this afternoon. <laughs> yes. And things aren't going great. No, because here's the thing. This is the restaurant industry is hard to yeah. begin with. Going into business with family is hard. Yeah. Going into business with family you literally just met is even right. harder. <laughs> Regardless of the bond, it's just hard. It's and ruining it's like, their relationship. It's no longer nights at like Studio 50. Well, Studio 54 is long gone at this point. Exactly. They've got jobs now. You know what I mean? Yeah, and families. Yeah, exactly. And like David says it really diplomatically where he's like, Being in business with my brothers damaged our relationship. There were conflicting work ethics. Meaning I worked hard and the other fucking bozos were lazy. Right. And so all of a sudden Bobby's whole demeanor changes. Yeah. And he's talking about how like he was no longer at the restaurant. And then it cuts to David and David's like, When... Bobby left the business. Eddie and I felt that we were being betrayed. Bobby felt that he was being pushed out. Either way, it did major, major damage to the relationship. Either way, it sucks. You know who took it the hardest was Eddie, the big softy. Right. And so now he's starting to become very erratic. He's starting to act out. He's calling people at like 2, 3 in the morning that he hasn't spoken to in a long time. And his mood swings are going crazy where like he's, you know, he really has got the highs and the lows. Right. And his wife is finally like... This was more than just somebody who needed counseling. This was like really something very, very serious. Manic depression, I think, was what they eventually said. And 
then it turns out we learned that all three of them at some point in their childhoods were under psychiatric care. Yeah, and we find this out because Eddie is now like has to go away. Right, and it's David is like, I feel bad putting him in a facility because shit, you know, I spent my 16th birthday in one. And, and I'm you're like, like, what? What yeah, yeah. is happening? Yeah. And you know, Bobby had some issues when he was, of course they did. Of right. course they did. Yeah. And then, you guys, it just keeps coming. So not only did the like, quote, subjects of this, you know, the siblings who were separated have mental health issues, but their birth parents had mental health issues too. And this was not disclosed to the adopting parents either. All of this is to say, now we're back to Lawrence Wright. And Lawrence is saying to us, you, he, look, Lawrence connects the dots. He's like, you guys, I got the Pulitzer. Let me connect the dots. For Move you. over, Howie, right? from Newsday. <laughs> I got this. Were the scientists purposely choosing children whose biological parents had mental illness? And placing them into different homes to see is, is mental illness heritable. And what he's saying is the nature versus nurture thing was like if the children might have had mental health issues if they stayed with their birth parents, but if they're raised in a different environment, will they not have these same mental health problems? Right. Guess what, dummies? They still have them. Yes. Yes. Because yeah. that's some, sometimes that's just genetics. So sorry. Right. And this is leading to where we are. Yeah. So Eddie was in the hospital for three weeks and then went back to the restaurant or was supposed to go back to the restaurant. And at this point, now they don't give us a lot of clarity on this. No. But at this, once Bobby left the restaurant, I get the sense that they, they kind of stopped speaking. I get that like, sense too. Forever. Like I don't, we have an, a moment coming up where they see each other for like the first time and we don't know how long. Yeah. So Bobby is out of the picture. So basically we find out that David worked in the back of the house, meaning mm-hmm. that he managed the kitchen. Right. And Eddie managed the front of the house. Because of course he did. Because right. he was the fun, loud, jovial one. Exactly. And so David's at work one day and Eddie doesn't show up. Then we find out that Eddie lives across the street from David. Of course. They live across the street. You guys, sometimes a little space will help with these really (laughs) tough business issues with family. A little bit of space. You and I have to live across town from each other. (laughs) So hard to get to your apartment. It's so far away. I know. That's why we record in this closet now. Yeah. And so he calls his wife. So David called me from the restaurant and he asked me to look out the window to see if Eddie's car was in the driveway because if it were in the driveway we knew that he was home so the car was in the driveway and I said to David um do you want me to go over there and David said yes all we know is that she comes running back and calls David at the restaurant and was like you need to come home come home come home come home and I uh I pulled up, we, we lived across the street, and I pulled up, kind of just, cop cars were all there, and I just kind of pulled up on him, you know, blocking half the street, left the door open, and started running into the house, and the cops grabbed me, and they wouldn't let me come in. They said, you don't, you don't want to see this. You can't see this. You don't want to see this. And Eddie has killed himself. He shot himself. Yeah. And another heartbreaking thing where, like, David calls Bobby to tell him. And Bobby's like, the minute I picked up the phone, I knew. They didn't even have to speak. Yeah. It's horrible. It's It's tragic. So then this guy, Lawrence. Our journalist friend with the Pulitzer. with With the Pulitzer tracks down the one living person who was a part of the study who's willing to talk. Right. Who's not trash Natasha, garbage Natasha. Exactly. His name is Lawrence too, but he's Dr. Lawrence Perlman, this guy. Yeah. Before we get into it, I have to talk about how he's sitting. Yeah. 
<laughs> he's sitting with, he's like in like a suit. He has like those stupid Argyle socks, which are fine. I like Argyle socks, but on him, we hate him. Uh, but he's sitting with like his foot on the chair and like slouching and lounging back. Like to me, even that body language is like, I don't give a fuck. He's lounging. He totally. should be like, I'm going to answer these questions. This is going to be really hard for me, but it's the right thing to do. And back then we didn't know any better. I was an assistant. I was young. I was this. We get none of that. And so at first I'm thinking this guy's going to be awesome because he's like willing to talk and he sits down in his chair. You guys, the second he sits down in the chair, he starts laughing. He's laughing. And here we are again with people who cannot acknowledge now that what they did back then was wrong. Even if at the time they thought they were doing the right thing. Yeah. So he's one of the guys that went to the house that the boys remember video taping them. Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys. He is laughing hysterically about the fact that like it was weird to him how much the boys look, looked alike. You had to be careful to not let on that uh, gee, you look just like your, your twin brother. And I would have been fired on the spot, right? <laughs> that was a little tempting. Yeah, it was. there was a little bit of temptation. It's like, hey, I, I, I know your twin. I, I I saw somebody a week ago who was exactly like you. And he says this thing where he's like, huh, because the filmmaker's like, so you're guilt, like, do you feel guilty? Or like, so how do you sleep at night? Right. Like, can you look yourself in the mirror? And he, and he actually says... The question of whether I feel guilty is interesting because uh, I never felt a responsibility. I came on after this was designed. However, I was a participant. So you could say, you know, I was ethically compromised by that. I hate these people. How they have no self-awareness in these moments. Do you guys think the documentarian is here because they're making a documentary about how awesome that study was? This is not a comedy. Think about this for one second. Chuckles. Yeah, no. (laughs) So the director's like gotten this footage with this guy that was in the study. He takes it and shows it to Bobby and David. No. Bobby and David sitting next to each other. Yeah, they sit down. They're not looking at each other. They're looking at the camera. Then David looks over to Bobby and he goes, "Good to see you." (laughs) And I'm like, "Wait, have you guys not spoken since the restaurant closed? Since like your brother's funeral or something? Like, has it been decades? I don't know. How long has it been? They don't go into that, but there's there is something there for sure. In the end." We find out that this whole study, right, that this guy Neubauer or whatever his name is, whatever. the guy who did it, he before he died, he donated all of his papers to the library at Yale. Mm-hmm. And there's this thing. You can donate things like your papers yeah. to libraries and put them under seal. That's kind of the situation with the study where it's um, it's under seal until like 2066. So we get this great scene of David. He finds the listing for, the- for the collection on the Yale library website and he's telling us what's in this collection. This is the Yale University website, and this appears to be the Guide to Adoption Study Records of the Child Development Center. 66 boxes filled with information. Charts, films and tapes, and research findings. Home visits. That's a big one. The videos of him as a child are in this collection. Photographs, interviews, all of this stuff. And he just wants to see it. And it's sealed. I mean, he's sealed. part of it. I know. So then we we get like an on-screen text from the documentary. Thank you, filmmakers. A little on-screen text is <laughs> a long way. And throughout the filming of this, more than 10,000 pages have been released since the filming of this documentary. And it's all it says it's all redacted. So yeah. there's not a lot of information. There's nothing of substance. Right. You have no idea who it is, what they learn, nothing. Because yeah. they kind of didn't learn anything. Exactly. And then, are you guys sick of me saying, and then yet? 
that, but it just keeps coming. I know. I know. I'm telling you, I took notes for every five seconds of this documentary. Yeah. So then in the end, we find out that there, you guys, there are at least four people involved in this study who don't know that they're twins. It is so horrible that, like, I, I honestly don't know how to respond I to know. that. Oh, I know how to respond. There you go. Oh, that, oh, perfect. When I don't have words, she does. Oh, girl, we did it. That was an intense one. That was really intense. My goodness. Um, You guys, don't forget, review us on iTunes. Do it while you're thinking about it. Yeah. Go to iTunes and write the thing that you love about our show. I would love to see that and read it and, and I'll cry. Yeah, you can do it from the podcast app on your phone while you're listening to us. Yeah, it's really super important. It helps people find us and it means a lot to us. Yeah, we appreciate it so much. Thank you to everyone who already has and thank you to those who are doing it right now, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, you guys, our February 9th live show, the 7 o'clock is sold out. 9.30 has about 12 tickets left. Oh my God. A meetup at 5.30. A meetup after the second show. We're yeah. getting drunk with you. You guys, again, Charles Manson. I know. I watched it yesterday again. I might have a costume that I'm wearing. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, and lastly, you guys, our Patreon. <gasps> Check it out. It's like a whole separate true crime obsessed podcast. Yeah. You guys get our episode by episode coverage of Serial Season 1, The Staircase, The Jinx, Making a Murderer. Yeah. All of our bonus apps, our extended outtakes. Everything is commercial free. Yes. It's super fun times to be a part of the Patreon fam. Yeah. And sometimes you just tell fun stories about what happened to it, us. That happens a lot, actually. <laughs> you, guys, you guys, you have been asking for it. We are doing it. Next week, we are doing the Fire Fraud documentary. We're doing the Hulu one, mm-hmm. you guys. Not the Netflix. We've had a lot of back and forth on it, but the Hulu one is super bonkers, so we're doing that one. Yeah. Girl, where can they find us? At True Crime Obsessed on Twitter. True Crime Obsessed Podcast on Instagram because now you're all over the Insta stories. You guys, I have Insta storying like three times a day on the True Crime Obsessed Podcast on Instagram. Yes. Follow us. I am obsessed with the Insta stories. You love that horn, the the megaphone. It's a little gay megaphone. And sometimes I give myself the gay sunglasses or a birthday hat. TrueCrimeObsessed.com, you guys, you can find our merch store, which you should totally check out. Our new logo is my favorite. Yep. Um, it has our episodes, our promo codes, our CS Live page. Our calendar, so you know what's coming up. Our calendar. I don't know. You guys, I'm having fun not knowing what our palate cleanser is going to be. We'll get to it. Yeah. yeah. And I'll put it in the show notes like I usually do. Oh, we love you guys. We love you. Thank you so much. All right, bye. Bye. I'm about to go to Fire Festival. Could be amazing. Could be a disaster. Fire Festival was supposed to be uh, the new Coachella, the new Burning Man. Exclusivity with access to premier talent. It was going to be an experience bordering on impossible. What's the worst thing that could possibly happen? This is our world. Oh, God. Nightmare in Paradise. There was no music. They were put into disaster relief tents. People started to have breakdowns. People started to have panic attacks. No idea what they were doing. It was also a health concern that there were people literally trapped on an island. It was a shit show. Just chaos and anarchy. It's a great time to be a con man in America. Whatever it takes, we are all in, and let's go and make this happen. William McFarlane created Fire Festival with rapper Ja Rule. You're sitting there saying, like, I have no idea what this guy does, but I'm pretty certain that it's not legitimate. Billy understood what millennials as a generation want. What Fire Festival did prove is that power of influence is real. These guys figured out a way to optimize social media, almost weaponize it. And that's really when it turned to something that became like a significant financial crime. 
There are people who help Gilliam commit fraud so that they can make their money. Somebody would post a question, the question would immediately get deleted. People would message me things like, I sold like everything I own just to go to this fantasy island festival. There were never thousands of acts booked and there were never millions of dollars paid. He's engaging in criminal acts and wire fraud. Billy, should we have any concern about the FBI? Uh, I'm not sure. Someone has got to stand up and say, this isn't real. Some people have called you a sociopath. How do you respond to that? You're saying the, the old bitch? bitch? I love what? it. That was my nickname in high school. I was going to so. say, there's, there are about 800 <laughs> jokes there. Where somewhere Marsha's like, who, girl, me? <laughs> <laughs> Sylvia's like, no, bitch. <laughs> you know who the old bitch is? Who? The Galapagos tortoises. They are literally oh, the old bitches. the old bitch. Yes, bitch. No, bitch. And it was at this point that I was like, oh, God, we have to acknowledge that these boys look like Justin Guarini and Tommy Kale had a baby. Yes, that hair. <laughs> you guys, Tommy Kale is the guy who directed Hamilton. That guy. And Justin Guarini is Justin Guarini. Yes. <laughs> Please see, like, the summer of 2002 if you don't know who that is. From Justin to Kelly. Didn't they make that horrible movie with <laughs> Queen Kelly Clarkson? When you say horrible, you must be referring to something different because they made a classic. Oh, got it. Okay, got it. Remember Howie the reporter? Yeah. Oh, of course. In, there were Howie in the plane? Yes. Howie's like... Doing like loop-de-loops. Yeah. Look at the money in those days. In the, 1980, the Newsday had all the money in the world? All right, Eddie. Um, but yeah, so Howie is just like, oh my God, there's a third. And then he's like, see, I told you. Amazing to incredible. What did I say? I got a scoop. What did I say? Howie, you know, if Howie is still working, he has a notepad. <laughs> He has a definite God bless this mess situation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know he's got boxes. But he's like, what? Technology? This recording? No. And back in the old days, we had a pen pencil. Oh, one of them is from a prominent doctor. I bet he's driving a Benz. Meanwhile, it's the old bitch. Ah, I had to say it. But of course, I mean, raise your hand if you were like, "Uh, am I a twin? I know. I know. Is there another person out there as gorgeous and thin, as beautiful as me? If we stood on our tiptoes. Once in a while, we would see a girl slowly walking up the hill. And we'd think, what a sad situation to be outside on your own. To go through the town with no playmate. To go through life all alone. I will never leave you. I will never go away. you is where I will stay evermore and always we'll be one though we're two for I will never leave you when the day is filled with shadows and stretch into the night I am sweet comfort like morning fills with light I will never leave you I will never go away we were meant to share each moment 